Seeking mental health care can be overwhelming and even scary, but it doesn't have to be. I'm Dr. Josephine McNary, and I'm committed to making this process easier for you. Each week, my expert guest and I unravel a different form of therapeutic intervention in order to bring comfort and understanding and to help you get back to your true self. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Mind Stories. Today, I'm pleased to have on as our guest, Rincey Matthew. Rincey is an AMFT with master degrees in both clinical psychology and public policy from Pepperdine University. She maintains a private practice in Santa Monica where she works with adults and couples using psychodynamic and humanistic approaches to facilitate deeper insight into childhood trauma and relational difficulties. She has a special interest in working with clients from non-Western cultural backgrounds who struggle to balance traditional family values with individual individual expression, and identity development. She hopes to offer clarity and insight to the complex nature of this intersection of cultures that often involves an inherent struggle to find one's authentic self in the midst of opposing cultural expectations. Her work also offers helpful perspectives to therapists who encounter such cases in their practice, so they are equipped to understand the unique nature of these cases that often conflict cultural expectations with the client's need to create healthy boundaries. To supplement her work with complex trauma, Rincey is also certified in EMDR to help further the connection between the mind and body and enhance her client's experience for a safe holding environment. Welcome, Rincey. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Mind Stories. Today, I'm happy to have as our guest, Rincey Matthews, who is a therapist in Southern California, and she specifically works with people from traditionally collectivistic cultures who are living in the U.S. and struggling with identities with both cultures. So welcome to our episode today, Rincey. Thanks so much. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah. What is a collectivistic culture? Could you describe that? Yeah. Of course. So collectivistic, when I use that word, it's meant to describe countries or cultures, particularly, let's say, Asian, Middle Eastern, Indian, where the primary focus is the family over the individual. It doesn't mean that individual isn't taken into consideration, but identity formation is really around the family. You know, and so there's a lot of emphasis about giving up one's own personal self so that the family or the group is sustained. And so there's a lot of, there's a tendency for people from this culture to struggle with their own development of their own self-identity. And what does that mean on an individual level? And how do they grapple with that and then not feel like they're betraying their families, you know, if they do what we therapists call individuation? become their own person. Right. And I guess inherent in kind of the discussion about collectivistic cultures is this idea that the American culture is in many ways the opposite of that. Yes. And that's exactly right, because we're relating it to the Western world where there is this emphasis on the individual, you know, and individual freedom, individual identity, and how the individual trumps the group. Again, it's on a continuum. It's not on an extreme level. So it doesn't mean that if you're you know, more individualistic, it doesn't mean you don't care about a group, but it's that there's more of an emphasis on development of self, you know, rather mm-hmm. than that, you know, just to the family. Mm-hmm. So as a therapist, one question I often ask people is, how did you develop an interest in this specific type of struggle? Yeah, that's a great question because 
you know, I am Indian. I'm from India. I was born there. I came to America when I was about three years old. And so a big struggle was, you know, how do I assimilate into this new world, into the American U.S. world? And, but still, you know, there was a strong tie from my family who were very traditionally Indian, who also assimilated as much as they could, but they were very much, you know, with this belief of we're really going to retain our cultural traditions and identity and how that also affected my own formation because I'm no longer just a person who was from India. Now I'm a person from India in the U.S. And so there's some difficulties that can arise in terms of my own identity. What does that mean? How do I feel like I fit in? And for a long time, I actually tried to move away from this specialty because I just, you know, I was one of those where I didn't want to be seen as I'm just the Indian girl. I want to be seen as I'm Rinsi, who also happens to be Indian. But what I've noticed, especially with my clients and having my own personal experience with it, is that there is a lot of internal struggles, sometimes even a lot of trauma, particularly complex trauma that can arise from this struggle of trying to identify in both worlds. And because, you know, one world emphasizes a lot more of a dependency on family. And in the Western world, you know, there's all this talk about dependency isn't good, you know, so how do you make sense of that? And so there's a lot of confusion. And so a lot of the clients that seem to gravitate towards me come from these cultures and are in a place themselves where they're in both of these, um, both of these situations. So that's pretty much how I started just getting a little bit more of an emphasis and passion for it. Got it. So how do you even begin the work then? I mean, I know everyone's so different, but what is kind of a typical process that you kind of walk someone through? So one thing I've noticed is a lot of my colleagues who are very culturally sensitive also found difficulty working with some of their clients who were, let's say, you know, in their late 20s, early 30s professionals who were in the middle of their career, but who suffered from a lot of like depression and internal trauma, and especially this tie and dependency to their family that could at sometimes feel abusive. And I think some of my colleagues who didn't have a background in it was there was difficulty in understanding how do I get this person out of this? And sometimes it felt like, are we detaching them from their family? You know, because it was so hard for the, for the client to feel like that was a helpful idea. So I think one thing to remember and one thing how I approach it is first acknowledging the fact that their situation is different. It is a struggle, you know, because they're balancing two different worlds and two different identities. And I think first you've got to just lay that foundation. And then I think there is a sensitivity to some of these cultures, some of their backgrounds sometimes have abuse in it and not extreme physical abuse, but a lot of emotional abuse that I think that sometimes is considered normal. And I think laying a foundation where we let them know that we understand that there's a struggle, but also to identify and get them to start getting aware of how some of these issues are actually more abusive than they are normal, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Right. The other thing that I'm wondering about is oftentimes someone's family of origin may not be so supportive 
supportive of someone getting this type of treatment. They see it as a way, I mean, even though the intention is not to have someone turn away from their family, I could assume there'd be a lot of negative kind of feelings about the therapy process within someone's family of origin. Absolutely. I think that's a really great point and essential one too, because I think that runs on a continuum of the individual person where they are and their family is in terms of assimilation, because you'll find some of them where there is this, you know, all of them seem to have a sense of shame, but there are some who have less of that and can still seem to make the decision and be overt that they're going to therapy. But then there's other situations where it's a little bit more tricky. And actually the client even has to hide at times that they're going to therapy. And so it's something that I think, like you mentioned, it's really important to also address when we're with them, just the sensitivity around that and how difficult of a position that puts them in, especially the ones where there's a lot of shame in revealing this. And I think there's also some measures to take with the client if that's the situation where they have to do some hiding or have to be covert about it. I think some planning around that is extremely helpful. Right. When do people typically seek out therapy to kind of process these sorts of issues? Is there a typical pattern of when you see someone reaching out to start working through these issues? What I've noticed um, with my own practice are Clients who are particularly in, I want to say, early 30s, maybe late 20s, mid 30s usually, where they're in the middle of their career, they have a certain amount of experience already, but they're still struggling. They're established because, again, a lot of these cultures emphasize going to school, being professional. And so you see people who are already quite established, but still are suffering And so, and I think at some point they start questioning that. And I usually see them in people who are in their early thirties who are kind of established, but still something's not right. And a lot of times I see clients who have mostly been in the country, let's say for a few years before they actually feel comfortable enough to seek out therapy. So there have been some that are quite traditional or who just just recently came maybe in the last four or five years. But until they felt ready, I think they still kept it underground. And so I see a few of them who, because there's so much inner turmoil and I think depression and abuse that's going on, you'll find some of them coming in as soon as they start experiencing that. But most of my clients have been like young, early professionals, I would Mm. say. Got it. What are you going for in terms of thinking about the end point of therapy? I know oftentimes there's not always an end point to therapy, but what would be a good outcome in terms of juggling someone having to straddle these two worlds? There's always going to be challenges associated with it. What are the good outcomes? What does that look like? Right. And I think it's really important. Like you said, it's very different for everybody. You know, it's always an individual basis. You know, I think it's hard, you know, sometimes for me to, you know, not go in there with a certain kind of vigor about it, but it's really important first to not have an agenda. Um, I think we have to really stay close with where the client's at, what they think they're ready for, but 
Something that I would say, considering everybody's variations in various situations, I think something to look for is, are they able to, at some level, even at the most minute level, are they able to see themselves as a person separate from the family system while still being able to feel connected? And that's not it's not going to be extreme. It's not going to happen overnight. I think even small steps in that direction are helpful. I think the ability to recognize that there's a lot of shame that they can actually sit with and no longer shame themselves with, I think is a really good step. And I also think at some point, and this doesn't have to happen, but again, at some level, if they're able to build their own self-empowerment and feel like they're able to differentiate from their family and not feel bad about it. Yeah. Yeah. That's the goal of most types of therapies, right? To kind of be able to sit in the world you live in, knowing that there are kind of different expectations put on you given different relationships you have and how to kind of sit with that in a way knowing that, you know, it will be unbalanced in some ways, but you can be okay with that. Yeah. And I think particularly, and yes, that's absolutely right. I think that's in general what we're looking for, but, but yeah, I will emphasize that with this kind of work, because there's a lot of shame involved in individuals who struggle within these worlds, I think trying to help them understand that, bring that down give them a better understanding of what it means to deal with abuse, emotional abuse, and what feels what's healthy, what's not healthy. I think getting a better understanding of that. I mm-hmm. think a lot of these clients tend to, I don't want to say completely dissociate, but they have a tendency to be more heady, not really connected to their body, not connected to their emotions as readily because there's this tendency to disown you know, those parts. But yeah, I think a lot of those characteristics are really important to emphasize. Mm. So you're you're talking about kind of working with people who kind of their initial cultural identity is from this collectivistic culture, basically, right? And if they had never kind of come to a different culture where now kind of these two cultures are kind of butting heads, if they had remained within, say, I mean, you talk about being Indian. So, I mean, I guess the question is if someone kind of remains in their home country, maybe these issues would never arise because they're never challenged, right? But I guess, have you thought about what therapy would be like if you were practicing in India and what, you know, how, what the differences and similarities would be? That's a great question because I think it's multifaceted. It's a little bit complicated, but I think that's a really great, great question to understand because yes, I do think the environment will change a little bit. However, I've noticed that even going back to India or still being in touch with a lot of family there and just knowing people there, that there is this, regardless of the environment, is this sense, this core sense of something doesn't feel right. Some basic needs aren't being met. And I think there's like a core level that still transcends the cultural environment. And, and I think working in India, let's say, would be emphasizing how to 
because that world is, you know, I'll say because I have my own experience in it, you know, they're very much about presentation. How does it look? Not just physically, but just how do you present, how, how successful you are. And I think every culture has that and sometimes emphasize more than others. And it can be very debilitating if you don't meet the standards of that culture. I mean, I think a lot of people here have a hard time doing that. Like women, if they're not married at a certain time, I mean, it's kind of 10 times worse in that culture. And so as a therapist, I would want to look into how do they withstand that kind of pressure? How do they, without having to succumb to this internal shame that they haven't met a standard. I think it's holding them in that space so they can feel the pain that they're not, somehow they're missing the mark and they're feeling shameful about who they are, but learning how to work through that. You don't have to provide an answer for them or resolve it for them, but I think being able to hold them in that place because it's a difficult environment to function in. And I think a lot of people, if you gave them the space, if you allow them to be heard in that pain, there's a lot of growth that can happen, even in a difficult situation like that. It also makes me think that, I mean, we talk about kind of negative aspects of being part of some of these cultures in terms of lack of individuation and maybe some type of independence. But I would assume there are benefits to those cultures, that type of culture as well, right? I mean, to be part of something. I mean, can we talk a little bit about those, like maybe grieving the loss of that, say, if you come to the U.S. and kind of that in itself is... It's not that you are trying to fight away kind of to divorce yourself from that culture, but I'm sure there's a lot of grief and loss associated with feeling that you're missing that part of you. Yes, absolutely. I think that's a hundred percent accurate and part of the experience because I think that's the complicated aspect of this. You know, there's a sense of wanting to be free in certain ways, but then, but yeah, you know, there's a lot of camaraderie in that world. You do feel like you know, somebody is there, everyone feels like a family, even if they're not technically family, they feel known and understood. And I think there's a lot of benefits, especially as we're kind of seeing our world change here right now, what it means to look beyond yourself and look and get the support of the group. That whole saying, it takes a village. I mean, I think really is very pertinent to this because I think there is a sense of safety and belonging that is essential to human nature and I think is very helpful and beneficial from this culture, this type of cultural dynamic. And so, you know, and I think that's a great point, Josephine, about the grieving of when they do come here, you know, there is some of, there's loss in that. Absolutely. And how do they retain that if they can? And so, A lot of the work, it seems to be, you know, I would say not necessarily finding absolute solutions. I think it's being able to stay with them, being able to acknowledge these different forces at play so that they can come to terms with it and learn how to adapt to it. I think that's a big part of that. Have you seen differences between as the generations progress? So let's say, you know, if I'm someone whose parents had immigrated, do you notice kind of generational differences in the types of struggles and challenges? Yes. I mean, I will say with my parents' generation, I mean, I, they're in their 60s now, but, you know, they came here when they were in their 30s. And I would 
count that as a lot more traditional. I think where they came from also, it was a lot more traditional, the area that they were from. And so it was a lot more difficult, I think, to assimilate. And what I'm noticing is it's not that it's easier with, let's say, the current group of immigrants, but there is an open-mindedness that wasn't there decades ago. You know, so I do notice that because I think certain parts of India is all, they're also much more open and more progressive in some ways as well. And not to say that everything progressive has to be Western. You know, I want to make that clear as well. But when I say progressive, this understanding that some of these rigid ways of being have not been helpful. And so being able to look beyond that. Okay. Another question. I mean, this is such a fascinating topic to me. You know, it seems like in culture, it's talked about more, right? Mm -hmm. I think it's the type of struggle that kind of anybody would find fascinating or most people would find pretty interesting. Are there things out there that you've seen or that you've talked about with your clients that have been really right on in terms of just kind of any sort of, you know, media that people are to or anything that's not really correct or feels incorrect in a way? Are there certain kind of things that you really have talked about in terms of media? Absolutely. You know, actually, it's interesting because I remember in the early 2000s is when I really saw more of an Indian character depicted in most sitcoms. But I will say that it started off definitely with the stereotype, right? With the thick accent, with that they're, I don't know, working at some kind of 7-Eleven shop or they're some kind of doctor. And while that's somewhat true, it was very much more an exaggeration. However, I think there's been a lot of comedians, you know, Mindy Kaling and different actors. I mean, Priyanka Chopra, she's one very famous Indian Bollywood actress who's very much part of the American world, who depict a more, I would say, versatile and more more relatable, I think, to the to the average Indian American. I will speak for, you know, I'm only talking about the Indian culture here, but there was this show from Mindy Kaling, I think it was on Netflix. I'm probably gonna botch up the name, but it was something like Never Have I Ever. And it was really cute, really funny. It was about this young Indian girl who I think is in middle adolescence or something, and just her struggles with kind of what we're talking about, you know, how does she be who she is with this background that takes up a lot of her life in terms of religion and and culture and what she eats and, you know, the expectations. And then also how does she mend that with the expectations of being a young girl in, in LA, you know, so that one I've heard a lot of commentary on about how that's been so relatable. And I mean, a little bit exaggerated and a little bit more complex, not as that typical stereotyped version that we saw initially. Yeah, that would be one. Yeah. yeah. I haven't heard of that show, so I'd love to check it out. Are there other things that you recommend, let's say the listener or any of your clients kind of that you have people reach to kind of help validate or kind of clarify their situation? Well, one thing that comes to mind, and it's probably a little left field, is there's this Indian, she used to be a model, I believe. Her name is Padma Lakshmi. And she came to mind initially because she has done a lot in terms of 
kind of bringing in Indian culture to her everyday life. I mean, I think she posts on videos. I think she writes books. She's, I think she was a former model in the U.S. who is Indian, and she was born there, I believe South India, and she has written my cookbooks, and she does a lot of TV shows, and she seems to have a good blend of like the Indian culture, the authentic part of it that feels, you know, not the harsh, rigid parts of it, but the beautiful aspects, the music and the food and the cultural traditions that are actually very lovely. And she seems to combine them quite well. So I do like a lot of her work, whether it's her books or some of her shows that she has on. I do like some of the comedians. I'm going to mess up his name, Hassan Minaj, I think. And he has a Netflix show as well. He's definitely comes from a comedic background, but he seems to have a lot of things to say that are relevant, that combines both cultures and the struggles that we see. I really appreciate it. And I think what we'll do is on the podcast description, I'll include your website so people can learn a little bit more about you and the work you do. And maybe we can include some kind of links to some of the things that we've discussed as well. Is there anything that you feel that we didn't address that you think would be really helpful for the listener to know about? Well, I think we covered a lot. I did want to say as a, you know, in addition to some of the things that we mentioned right before about, you know, some cultural influences, those were just comedic or or just certain aspects, but I would like to link in other books and other types Mm -hmm. of thought leaders as well. So please look for that. And also, I mean, basically, I think we covered everything, but, or most important aspects of this topic, but for, I think, clinicians to also I think this is another reason why I wanted to be more of a voice in this and is to also help clinicians how to understand their clients who come with these dualities in terms of different worlds that they have to manage and how do clinicians become sensitive to that, not in a way where they succumb to or agree with abusive tendencies from a culture, but being able to be sympathetic to it and understand it and then being able to help them move forward from it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you being on and educating us about this topic and all the important work that you do. Thank you for being on. Thank you so much. Take care. This has been Mind Stories. With remote appointments in California and offices in downtown Los Angeles, Santa Monica, Hermosa Beach, Marina Del Rey, and Echo Park, Health Psychiatry specializes in medication management, mood and anxiety disorders, alternative therapies, women's mental health, and more to help you get back to your true self. Visit us at calpsychiatry.com. Thank you for listening to Mind Stories, and don't forget to subscribe. Subscribe.